Chapter 6 of Billy Whiskers at Home. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Billy Whiskers at Home by Francis Trago Montgomery. The Brazilian Bullfight. After the calling of speech, a speech from Billy Whiskers had died down some, Billy climbed up to a shelf of rock that protruded from the brow of the hill overlooking the lower stretch of land where the party was in progress. From this vantage point, he could be seen and heard by all. The moment he stepped forward and began to speak, there was dead silence, and not a horse or cow so much as switched its tail to chase away the flies. My dear friends, it gives me great pleasure to be back in your midst once more, and to have the opportunity to see and speak to you. My very dear and old friends, Mr. and Mrs. Spots, who have made it possible for me to meet you all this evening, have asked me to relate one or two of the experiences I had while away. I can assure you I have had many thrilling ones. But instead of telling you about them, I am going to describe one of the most peculiar sights I saw while in South America. As you well know, wherever a country has been settled by the Spanish or the Portuguese, there bullfights have been introduced, as it is the national sport of those two countries. Consequently, when I was in Rio de Janeiro and heard people talking about going to the bullfight on Sunday afternoon, they are always held on Sunday, I decided to see what they were like, though I did not relish the idea in the least as I disliked to see any kind of animal hurt or abused. You see, I had heard that a bullfight is one of the most cruel sports engaged in by any nation. Still, I felt that as long as I was in a country where they had them, I had better go and see how they were conducted and what the people who attend these fights look like. If I found it too cruel, I could come away. I followed the crowd going to the bullring and succeeded in slipping in between the people and finding a good place away up on the last tier of the seats from which to witness the fight. I had only been there a few minutes when, with a blare of trumpets, a pair of double doors was thrown open and out rode a toreador on a coal-black horse prancing in time to the music as he chomped his bit while his rider bowed low to the audience. Before him, as he pranced around the ring, went two trumpeters dressed in red velvet and silver lace, blaring away on their extra-long beribboned trumpets. As for the Toreador, he was costumed in black velvet and gold lace and wore a three-cornered hat with a long flowing white ostrich plume and carried a long spear held upright. Behind him marched the Picadors and the Matadors. After this company once circles the ring, it is the custom for the Toreador to take his place in the middle of the ring, facing the door through which the bulls enter the ring from their partially darkened stalls. The door from the stall into the ring is thrown wide open, and seeing the bright light, the bull rushes for it, so that when he first enters the ring, he is blinded by the sudden glare, and he stands, head erect, looking in all directions, puzzled which way to turn. The first bull to enter on the day I was there was a magnificent jet-black beast with long pointed horns, though the points had been sawed off, as is the law in Brazil. Also, no horse or bull may be killed or injured. 
the Toreador, Picadors, and Matadors are there to protect the horse and to keep him from being disemboweled or injured in any way. They are permitted to tease the bull and throw long darts into the bull, but not to injure him. When I found this out, I was delighted, for now I could enjoy watching the fight and let my nerves quiet down. As soon as the bull's eyes were accustomed to the light, he spied the toreador on the horse facing him, and with a snort he began to paw the dirt and switch his tail. He charged on horse and man, but he was not quick enough. The horse jumped to one side, and the toreador threw a dart that sank into the bull's hindquarter. With a quick turn, the bull was after them again, and for some little time they chased each other here, there, and everywhere around the ring, until the toreador had thrown another dart into him. While the toreador was trying to make the dart stick in the bull's shoulders or haunches, the picadors teased him by shaking a red cape in his face, or else throwing it in front of him just when he was about to gore the horse. The bull took after the picadors, and they had to run for safety, jumping over a medium-high wall that surrounded the whole ring and formed a very narrow passageway. It was built just high enough for a bull that is a good jumper to get over, but the passageway was so narrow that if he went over straight, there was not sufficient room for the bull. This bull hung over the wall until he could twist himself straight, which delay gave the picadors time to escape, and they returned to the ring. This happened many times that day and made the audience howl with delight and clap their hands. As soon as the bull would get himself straightened out, he would run around the enclosure until he came to an open door, and running through it, he would find himself in the ring once again. This performance continued with each bull until he would have two darts sticking in him, and then another bull was brought on, and this one was led out by six cream-colored oxen with humps on their backs like water buffalo have. These oxen were trained to walk over to where the bull stood and quietly encircle him, so that he walked out in the midst of friends. As many as eight or nine bulls were used in that one afternoon, some of them would not fight at all, even though stuck with sharp darts and annoyed in every imaginable way. When one refused to fight, it was let out by the cream-colored oxen and another bull brought in. The performance concluded with kind of a burlesque show as one might see at a circus. Two men dressed in suits made of thick rubber like automobile tires came into the ring. They were so clumsy in their suits, they could scarcely waddle, and when a bull knocked them over, he could not hurt them. When they fell and he rolled them around, they simply pulled their heads into the suits, much as a tortoise pulls its head into its shell, and let the bull maul them until he was driven off by the picadors. Then the picadors would help them to their feet as their suits made it so clumsy they could not get up once they fell down. These men made the bulls furious. They bellowed and stamped and swished their tails with anger, all of which tickled the crowd immensely. Another thing they had that greatly pleased the audience was a paper ship under full sail. Four men got inside the ship and carried it around. It was a comical sight, as the men's legs showed below the ship where the water ought to be. They stood where the bull could see the ship first thing on entering the ring. At first, the bull was so astonished, he simply stood still and stared at them. Then, with a swish of his tail, he made for it at full speed. 
a single onslaught shattered it, and there was a grand melee of bull, men's legs, sails, and splinters. The bull was all tangled up in the sails, and while he was trying to extricate himself, a man on stilts and dressed in a long Mother Hubbard and wearing a false face of Mother Hubbard and that good lady's bonnet walked into the ring. For a while, Mother Hubbard dodged the bull cleverly, but at last she stumbled and fell across the bull's back. When the bull finally freed himself of his burden, the false face with the bonnet was still sticking between his horns, the dress and stilts trailing across his broad back, while the man impersonating Mother Hubbard was running for shelter back into the bullshed. This was the last performance of the day, and it sent the crowd home laughing instead of horrified, as a real bullfight would have done. And I, for one, say that all bullfights should be like this one, and no government should be permitted to hold such cruel and horrible ones as are given in Spanish countries. Billy bowed low in conclusion, and was about to leave the jutting rock he had used as a platform when the crowd of animals below cried, Tell us something more! Tell us something more! We never travel nor see anything of the world, and it would be the greatest treat for us if you would tell us what you saw and did. So Billy walked back to his place and proceeded to relate how he had impersonated King Neptune. End of chapter 6